Daniel Hart is a composer, performer, and producer who has written music for such critically acclaimed films as A Ghost Story, Old Man and the Gun, and The Green Knight. As a performer, he has traveled the world playing with artists like St. Vincent, Broken Social Scene, and the Polyphonic Spree, as well as his own band, Dark Rooms. In this episode, we premiere his new song, Marine, and talk about the musicality of different languages, not polishing away the humanity of a performer in a recording, and the benefits and disadvantages of composing as a non-pianist. Stick around. Welcome to Chamber House. Daniel, thanks so much for being on the show with me today. Hey, Daniel. It's my pleasure. It's almost like I'm talking to myself. Um, So I'm a huge fan of your score writing, your compositions, many of your other projects, and I want to spend a lot of time talking about those. But off the bat, I wanted to highlight just what an incredible instrumentalist you are in your own right, somewhat, in my mind, virtuosic. So I'm curious if you've ever thought about how being a violin player influences the kind of composer that you've become. Like, how would it be different, say, you were a piano player or something like that? I think about this a lot in terms of uh, writing orchestral music because to approach it as a non-pianist, I think any other instrumentalist who's not a pianist is approaching it at a disadvantage, I think, Hmm. because the piano is the single instrument that gets closest to expressing the range and the timbre and the structure of a lot of orchestral music, and especially a lot of orchestral music used for film. Right, the whole gamut. Yeah, yeah, yeah all the octaves and um, it's melodic and percussive and you can cover so many different parts because a note per finger. And so, yeah, I think there's a disadvantage at the beginning. And I will say also to that point, most of my favorite composers in the orchestral field were great pianists as well, Hmm. like Stravinsky and Debussy. And I think when I start feeling this way, like I wish I was a better pianist, I just think about John Adams. John Adams is one of my favorite living composers. And he, I read an interview with him where he talked about not being a pianist first and foremost, and the ways that that makes him approach writing orchestral music differently. Hmm. And that made me feel so much better because Hmm. I I think his music is quite remarkable and it's uh, an aspiration to make something as vibrant and complex and yet still clear as John Adams makes. Right. So there's that part of it. I think the part of it specific to me playing the violin rather than another instrument and how that relates to how I compose any music, not just orchestral music, is the way in which the violin is often used in the kinds of music where it is used. Like it's usually a melodic leading voice. Right. I think about in the classical world, the number of violin concertos that have been written versus, for example, the number of viola concertos that have been written. And uh, and so uh, there's just this huge body of work where the violin is featured. And often the first violins in the orchestra are playing the melody. But even in, um, like in a bluegrass band, uh, a violin may do some comping, but it's definitely treated like a, a melodic instrument. Right, of course. And so I think to that end, me starting on the violin as a little kid and taking violin lessons growing up and playing in in orchestra and then continuing to play in bands 
touring around, it just makes me think melodically first, more than anything else, I think, in melody. Right. Yeah, actually, that was a question I was thinking about asking you later on around melody. And that is something that I particularly like about your compositions, because they are so melody forward, but Mm. it gives it this sort of natural and free flowing unfolding of melody, right? Where it's like, it doesn't feel hemmed in by the harmony. The harmony is sort of like supporting it and following it. And I feel like it has a really interesting movement because of that. Do you also Mm. see it like that? I probably don't I'm trying to think if I've ever dissected my music to the extent that you're talking about, and I'm not sure if I have. But when I think about other people's music, what you're describing is something that I really like. So it's probably what I would tend to do in my own stuff. Well, I heard it. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like I uh, start writing something and I'll write parts and it's just in my brain. It's like, mm, either that works or it doesn't. And if it doesn't work, then I'll try something else. And I just try it until my brain and my gut or my brain and my heart are happy. And then when they're happy, I'll move to the next section. Right. I, I love that. I feel like being instrumentalists who don't necessarily come from like a highly organized training background, you know, like I think that it can give you a a bit of an imposter syndrome feeling sometimes about whether or not what you're doing is like on the level. (laughs) And, And I feel like that can discount the sort of specific magic that we bring into it, right? Like that thing, that voice in your head that's telling you, no, this is right and that's wrong, or at least for this piece, for me, this is right and that's wrong. That is its own kind of wisdom and its own kind of knowledge. And maybe it's not quite as formalized as somebody else's, but that's what makes us us. You know, that's what makes what we do special. Absolutely. I think what I strive for above anything else when I'm writing music is to just try and be honest honest to the scene in the show that I'm writing for, honest to the uh, intentions of a director, honest to my own life experience. If I'm writing a song, lyrics that are honest. Right. Over the years, you've worked a lot with director David Lowry on some really great films, including A Ghost Story, Green Knight, among many others. And I imagine that's a really unique and a special experience in the composing world to have so much experience with one director, so much of your journey alongside that one person. And I'm curious if there are any particular ways about his brand of storytelling, his brand of movie making that has affected the kinds of scores that you write. Like, would it be different if you were working for a different director? It would definitely be different with a different director. Because like me, any director would be the same, and each director has their own yeses and nos based on their own life experience, right? So, When I look at his oeuvre, what I see across movies of vastly different budgets, genres, and styles is uh, a desire to reveal and explore the fragility of existence, in particular mm-hmm. human existence like what it means to be a human being and how vulnerable that is and how much beauty there is in that vulnerability. 
So that reminds me of a question that I wanted to ask you about the music you wrote for Ghost Story. And that is a little more traditionally orchestral, but I found the performances on the score to be really interesting. They're not overly polished. There's also a rawness and fragility like you were mentioning. And there's like a, I don't know, a little more looseness to the performances. And I was curious if that was an intentional thing or if that was something that just kind of came out that way or if it was intentional, what purpose that served. I think this gets to the heart of why it is that David and I feel so comfortable working together because there's something for me about making music in any situation for myself for a film where I want to know that it was made. Like I want to experience the making of it when I'm listening to it. Hmm. So if I'm recording violins for anything, but including a ghost story, I played a lot of the violins on the score. And if I'm doing that, I put a mic super close to the violin. I want to hear the bow sound. I want to know that it was played by somebody. You know what hmm. I mean? Like I would love right. to- if, You want to feel the person behind it. If somehow when I was playing, the mic also picked up my breathing along with the sound of the violin, that would make me very happy. Mm. And I think that's not always the case. I think especially in film and TV, there's uh, often a desire for something a little more polished than that. Sure. Yeah. It's interesting to have so many other voices in the room when it comes to certain stylistic choices. Like for me, what you're saying is a very impactful, a very meaningful way of recording that brings with it a lot of feeling. And it's not necessarily your call whether or not that gets to be part of the soundscape. David and I have done a couple of Disney films, and the last one that we did was last year. It's called Peter Pan and Wendy, and it comes out this year. And there was one feedback session we had with Disney executives and one of them, you know, this was at a point where they liked some stuff we had done, but there was other stuff that they were really unhappy with, with mm -hmm. the film and the music. And one of the Disney executives was like, I just, I want to make sure as we're looking at this scene that we don't lose that handmade quality hmm. that it has from what you had turned in so far. And then he said it again later on in the same review. And uh, I think that's like, like I didn't, I never sat down and I don't think David ever sat down and said, I want this to feel handmade, but right. um, that's at least something that this other person heard that they wanted to keep as an aspect of the storytelling. I feel like that is uh, essential to David's films. Um, it's, it's nice that you guys were on the same page about that. Yeah. <laughs> Not always. And it's an encouraging story that goes the other direction more often. Um, I've noticed that in terms of instrumentation on a lot of your scores, they, they tend to lean more acoustic than in the electronic realm, even though I know that you're well-versed on electronic instruments. And I was curious if there was anything about acoustic instruments in particular that seemed to convey the emotion of the film more effectively. I've thought about this. I, I feel like I've talked about this before in in interviews. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure. Like, there is definitely the aspect of this thing we've already discussed, like having a human being present in mm -hmm. the making of the music and the, in the recording of it. 
and knowing that that person was there and having it be a little messy because the life life is messy and and filmmaking is messy and David's storytelling is not nice and neat. It, it has some rough edges. So I feel like the music should too. So is that part of it? I, and I do feel like it's possible to do that with electronic instruments. Like it could have been an all synths score for a ghost story and it probably would have worked well, but, um, I don't know. Like, I guess it's just my natural, <laughs> my default, my default is to play instrument. I've been playing instruments as, as long as I can remember in my life. So I guess yeah, that's my, totally. that's you know, my something too. It is kind of like movie esque, you know, about big string sections and stuff like that too. Um, totally. Oh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Green Knight as well, because I've found that to be one of the more interesting scores that I've heard in, in a long time. There are strong influences in it that are medieval, historical, and yet it still feels like a very modern soundtrack to me. There's a lot of dissonance, chromaticism, there are synths, and you know, and it just feels it feels modern. It's like darker, you know, it gets under your skin. And I guess my question is it's such an ambitious film, and I'm curious how you would go about wrapping your mind around the way that you would approach writing music for this kind of film. I went into it with an idea of instrumentation already in mind. Like I told David, these are the instruments I want to try and use for this score. And he was on board. Um, he also requested big synths. I might not have put synths in if he hadn't said, use some big synths. But I went in I went in with ideas. I was thinking about Chinatown, Jerry Goldsmith's score for Chinatown, and he basically he pitched the studio or the producer, he pitched the producer on the ensemble that he wanted to use to play it. And then he went and wrote the music for that ensemble. Like he says he wasn't sure ahead of time if it would actually work. Hmm. Like it worked in his brain, but he wasn't sure right. if it would because it was a little less conventional of an ensemble for Chinatown. It's like hmm. two pianos, two harps, some strings, solo, trumpet, and some auxiliary percussion. So yeah, I went in with um, with ideas about instrumentation, and I feel like that led the way. I did a lot of research for the film, definitely more than I've ever done for any other project, um, to get the medieval stuff right, especially the lyrics in Middle English. I wrote a lot of lyrics for that film. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard that there's a number of different languages in that. And that was like, damn, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few different languages. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, um, yeah as if, yeah. you know, we weren't already impressed enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think there's a, it's, a, it's related to the musical ear. I think the proclivity towards being curious about other languages, the sounds that other people make with their mouths to communicate. Hmm you know, that are different from the sort of music in that. Yeah. There's the music in that. And the, the fact that in my limited experience, the English that I speak, like a Midwest American English is a lot less musical than a lot of other languages in the world. And so I grew up in California, so I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm always like, so fascinated. I'm like, oh, you you worked music into your language. I so Mm. wish that that had been my upbringing too. 
Um, One thing that I really find particularly integral to that score is just the amount of dissonance that's in there. And Mm -hmm. and this actually made me follow that original thread or or want to go down that original thread about um, being a violin player Mm. and how that influences your your score writing. Because there's an incredible amount of dissonance in the choral arrangements. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with strings, especially on on the higher end, they can take so much dissonance before the sound becomes abrasive. And I'm wondering if that has sort of opened your ear up to different possibilities in writing that might not be so available to other people who have different instruments. That might be it, but I feel like that the writing in The Green Knight, the choral writing came more from my experience singing in choirs and uh, both my parents are choir directors, or my father's past, but both my parents were choir directors uh, as a profession. So I feel like that's where that came from. And that interest in dissonant choral writing, I got an opportunity to do some of it for the TV show version of The Exorcist that I, I've scored the first season of in 2016. Hmm. And that showrunner for that show wanted some dissonant choral stuff. So I can't I feel imagine like, why. <laughs> I feel like that um, that uh, gave me a chance to flex those muscles a little bit and hmm. made me want to do more of it. But for the most part, choral stuff is fairly expensive to hmm. record for film and TV. Um, right, 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 right. And so it's not. I don't get the chance as much to do choral stuff. So yeah, I, I think totally that's where that, that came from. But I, you're probably right. Like the dissonance in strings informed it. I I took violin lessons all the way up through high school and then I stopped. And the last piece that I was working on within that context was an etude by a French composer named Eugène Esai. And he was himself a violinist and he wrote these fairly dissonant etudes that I really love. Hmm. You know, I also wanted to ask about the soundscape of your scores and how you are really, really good at coaxing and teasing really interesting sounds out of acoustic instruments, um, techniques and approaches that, you know, are not super common, even though the instrument might be common. And I'm curious when you are beginning to write a score, are you ever able to work in time for play and for exploration and for just sort of experimenting with what possibilities you have for your soundscape? Usually that's happening one of two ways. Either I have a friend who plays an instrument and I ask them to like take me through all the options for extended technique on their instrument. Or um, I'm just looking it up on YouTube. (laughs) Yeah, like what? That's a Sunday. What's (laughs) what's um, what's possible with this instrument? And and plenty of people have made extended technique videos. Thankfully, for a lot of instruments. When I was doing stuff for um, the Green Knight Collector's Edition Blu-ray came out at the end of last year, and we made another short film related to the green knight that is on the collector's edition Hmm. called the oak thorn and the old rose of love and when i was scoring that i sat down with a friend of mine who plays oboe and english horn and just asked her to take me through what the options were for extended technique but especially with note bending portamento Mm -hmm. glissandi kinds of things Would you go into that session with any melodic ideas or anything like that? Or was it just totally about exploring techniques? 
No, I went in wanting to be able to do a certain thing, and then I wanted, and then so I asked her if she could do that. And Got it. once we determined that she could basically do what I wanted her to do, then I was like, well, what else? You know, what else can we do? <laughs> right. what are the, what's the other cool, weird stuff that we can do? Fun. No, yeah. I love that. Uh, I wanted to ask you about your piece, Maureen, which you're premiering with us today. Would you mind telling me a little bit about that piece and, and maybe tell me a little bit more about why it's particularly meaningful to you? I wrote Maureen in 2017, I think, maybe the beginning of 2018. I wrote it around the time that I was scoring one of David Lowry's films called Old Man and the Gun, hmm. which is a heist film. Uh, that makes st- sense, though. I, I see the thread. Yeah, starring Robert Redford and Danny Glover and Tom Waits as older men who still rob banks. And so we had we had a score for The Old Man and the Gun that was centered around a jazz trio, a jazz piano trio. And I wrote a lot of music specifically just for the trio. But as I was working on Old Man and the Gun in that world, I started to write other things too using that same instrumentation. And this was one of the pieces that sort of showed up at my door. You know, it wasn't for the film, but I did end up recording it around the same time with the same jazz piano trio that recorded for Old Man and the Gun. So Sean Giddings on piano, Mike Luzecki on bass, and Mackenzie Smith from the band Midlake on drums. Hmm. Yeah, we, we recorded this piece, Maureen, in 2018 with just the piano trio. And then it sort of sat for a while uh, because I didn't know what to do with it. Like I, I didn't write it for anything to be used for anything specific. I didn't have any releases in mind. I wasn't going to make a whole jazz album on my own right. at that point. So it just kind of- But you had s- the players there, so. I had the play. Yeah, I had the players. <laughs> so, so we recorded that. And then my friend Evan, who also recorded the saxes for Old Man and the Gun and recorded woodwinds on just about everything I've ever made. Um, he recorded the saxes for Maureen as well, remotely and and then it sat a little longer, and and then I thought I was going to release it in 2019, like at the end of 2019, for Milan Records' 40th anniversary compilation. I think it's what it was, and then that got pushed, and then the pandemic happened, and that sort of just right. never came about. Hmm. I, I don't think so. In in preparation for that possible release. We tracked a small brass section, trumpet player and a trombone player, to back up the sax. And then I tracked myself at home doing all the strings as well. That's that's how it was made in bits and pieces over a couple of years. And since then, I've just sort of kept it and listened to it every once in a while because I still <laughs> really I really like what I made. And yeah, it's so it's so good. It's like got such good energy, and it's so it's so interesting. You know, like there's that like kind of pedaled bass part but then it's it's still pretty adventurous harmonically and it's um i don't know i i've listened to it a bunch and i really like it thanks man yeah of course i wrote out the riff for the bass player and then i wrote out the changes but sort of encouraged him to make a meal of it (laughs) in places where it felt like he could improve upon what was on the page yeah, I totally get that. Sometimes you just kind of like give a hint of greatness <laughs> and let everyone else fill in the good parts. Um, yeah. Really, really great stuff here. 
Thanks, man. Of course. Yeah. I guess, uh, I guess I gotta let you go. <laughs> this is really nice though. <laughs> it's a pleasure to chat with you, Jane. Yeah, you too. And now Daniel Hart's new song, Marine.
Maureen was performed by Sean Giddings on piano, Mike Lezecki on bass, Mackenzie Smith on drums, Evan Smith on saxophone, and Daniel Hart on strings. Chamber House is produced by Daniel Dixon and Dabney Morris. See you next time.